Blog Talk Radio. Good evening. I'm Alpha. We can be as badass as we want. We now live in a nation where doctors destroy health, lawyers destroy justice, universities destroy knowledge, governments destroy freedom, the press destroys information, religion destroys morals, our banks destroy the economy, the inability to defend on all of these fronts, be it voter suppression, and you can go down the line, you can go down the line. Good evening. I'm Alpha. This is the Alpha Show. Now, the master of common sense, take no prisoners in politics and game making. The man from Chicago who's got their numbers. This is Advanced Urban Political Talk Radio with Alpha. Here's Alpha. Good evening. Good evening and welcome to another episode of the Alpha Show here at TruthWorks Network, where the truth must be spoken more than once. The clock is ticking. Uh, We're down to six days. Six days and it seems like forever. You remember when it was six months and we couldn't wait for November 3rd? Do you remember when it was six weeks and we couldn't wait till November 3rd? Do you remember when it was November 3rd and we couldn't wait for the 70 or so days that would pass before the political nightmare would be over. Well, now it's down to six days. And I would say get your party hats out and your party horns, but instead you better get your muskets and gunpowder tins. Get your Three-pointed hats. And for the black folks, get in the barn. Because that's where we're headed. Black folks, you don't have a right, a right to vote. You don't have the power for the vote. You shouldn't be allowed to pick our president. That's our president. That's for us. You don't get to say otherwise. What a lovely country. America, the home of the what? Somebody help me here. The home of the free and the brave? 
unless you're black, unless you're brown, unless you're other. And what we witness in the attack on the Capitol was a failed coup d'etat. It's a coup if nobody dies, if there's no bloodshed. I guess d'etat, if there is blood and somebody dies. Can somebody please explain to me why everyone that's arrested is not threatened with a murder charge? Someone did die. It was a collaborative planned assault with reconnaissance, with moneyed, organized, preemptive, give it a name, treason, sedition, insurrection, Let's holler for all of them. Three cheers for all of it. Five one six 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 nine five one six. That's the number. And the name is the Alpha Show. I'm Alpha. We can you know, I, I, really, I very vaguely remember that particular, those particular comments in my opening, because that was a comment, that was an opening for a couple of years back, more than a couple of years. It, um, it still pertinent, it's still relevant today. And um my secretary <laughs> slash CEO slash big sister, she put that together and she does fine work. And um I I enjoy it, especially the the music in the background. We here in the United States have got four years ahead, and four years ahead of us under Biden. He has been left a minefield. He has been left a bit crapping right in the center of the bed. He has been set up for failure. And that's why. That's exactly why you don't give an inch. That's exactly why instead of bringing the nation, we've got to heal and bring the nation together. Well, good luck with that. Good luck with that. To that I say, we don't heal with traitors. We don't bring a nation together 
with neo-Nazi, fascist, authoritarians. It is really against our nature. I have a great deal of angst, angst when it comes to a Republican. They claim that they are for this country. But the one thing that they are for and the only thing that they are for is power. They want to be in power. The right wants to be in power. When they have exhausted all avenues when it comes to Political ideology. Their political ideology runs out and it hurts the hell out of me when the Democratic side message and beat a drum that will get the masses to understand that Republicans are bankrupt. Morally, fiscally, and ideally. Their ideals fall short. Everything falls short. The only thing they have that they never run out of, or should I say only things, they have that they never run out of are lies, fear, and violence. They can't get you to believe their lie. They will hit you with their fears. And once you hurdle that fear, you hurdle it right into their violence. I came across um, a philosopher and I can't call him a philosopher. I can only say I can only say He seems to hit the nail right on the head. And he hits the nail right on the head as he should. And I've thought this way, and I've come to understand this. His name is Walden Walden Bellow. And he... I happened to come across this particular clip on Democracy Now! And he basically, in plain English, pointed out what the right the Republicans are all about. 
and not just now. They've been about this for like 50 years now, or 60. They've been about 60 years they've been about this. Since Nixon. I want you to have a listen to it because it basically lays out their plan because their plan is never ending. Their plan simply is you continue to never go home, period. And this is why. Now, to what's happening in the Capitol. The Democratic-led House of Representatives plans to vote to impeach President Trump as soon as Wednesday, unless Trump resigns or Vice President Mike Pence first invokes the 25th Amendment to remove him, which looks unlikely. On Monday, House Democrats unveiled a single article of impeachment against the president for incitement of insurrection against the government of the United States a week after Trump's supporters violently attacked the Capitol. Trump's also accused of subverting and obstructing the certification of the 2020 election. The article of impeachment states, quote, Donald John Trump, by such conduct, has demonstrated he will remain a threat to national security democracy and the Constitution, if allowed to remain in office, and has acted in a manner grossly compatible, incompatible with the self-governance and the rule of law. This comes as authorities are warning of more right-wing violence around Joe Biden's inauguration January 20th. The FBI's warned the possible armed fiery protests are being planned in all 50 state capitals plus the U.S. Capitol beginning January 16th. In Washington, 15,000 members of the National Guard are expected to be deployed ahead of the inauguration. The New York Times reports Pentagon officials are preparing for a number of nightmare scenarios, including snipers targeting attendees of the inauguration, drone attacks, and suicide-type aircraft. Authorities have also expressed concern about the number of active-duty soldiers and veterans, as well as police officers, who took part in the insurrection last week. Commanders at Fort Bragg are investigating the role of a PSYOPs Army captain, that's a psychological operations Army captain, who led a group from North Carolina to D.C. last week to rally for President Trump. Meanwhile, two Capitol Hill police officers have been suspended, and at least a dozen others are under investigation for aiding the attack that left five people dead, including a Capitol Hill police officer who supported Donald Trump. For an international perspective on the crisis facing the United States, we go to the Philippines to speak with Walden Bellow, the acclaimed sociologist, academic, environmentalist, and activist. His latest column for Foreign Policy and Focus is headlined, America Has Entered the Weimar Era. Walden Bellow is also a senior analyst at the Bangkok-based Focus on the Global South, as well as an international adjunct professor at the State University of New York at Binghamton. Bellow is the author or co-author of 25 books. Part of his book, Counter-Revolution, The Global Rise of the Far Right, looks at the social roots of Trumpism. 
Bello served as a member of the House of Representatives of the Philippines from 2009 to 15, 2015. He's the recipient of the Right Livelihood Award, also known as the Alternative Nobel Prize. Walden Bello, welcome back to Democracy Now! It's great to have you with us. If you can talk about what you thought as the insurrection unfolded last week, if you could put this in a global context. Yes, well, uh, uh, Amy, thanks a lot, uh, and Juan, for inviting me uh, to your program. Well, uh, uh, let me just say that the first thing that came to mind was, of course, uh, sh- uh, shock at uh, this insurrection right at the very heart of the American political system. But on the other hand, having started, having studied uh, counter-revolutions, um, I, uh, it, it was sort of something that, uh, although I did not expect it to take this dramatic form, you know, that this kind of uh, street-type warfare, uh, mobilization of the streets, you know, that you know, the right wing uh, or the far right in the United States would, you know, resort to this. And, you know, uh, things that came back, uh, came to my mind were, for instance, the right wing gangs uh, in in Chile, you know, that, um, uh, you know, created the chaos that resulted in military intervention that uh, uh, ousted President Allende back in 1970. Three, and you know, uh, we had these groups like Patria Libertad that pretty much were like this, the Proud Boys in the United States, and you know the other right-wing gangster. Uh, another image that flashed into my mind was, you know, uh, the fascist squadristi uh, of Mussolini. Uh, you know that um, uh, took power first by taking over the streets. Uh, and because the socialists in Italy at that time were becoming quite popular at the ballot box, the you know the ruling class fought back uh, mainly by you know uh, promoting the fascist squ- uh, you know squads uh, in uh, their very violent ways of repressing uh, the left. And of course, the other image that came to my mind was you know in uh, the late 20s, the last years of the Weimar Republic, uh, you know, where uh, basically, you know, the, there was a stra- strong political polarization that was taking place, and the fascists or the Nazis, uh, you know, wanted to resolve the, you know, the, the stalemate, parliamentary stalemate, by basically taking over the streets and beating up people, beating up social democrats, beating up the communists, and using that surge from the streets to be able to push uh, Hitler to power, both through electoral as well as the street uh, uh, terrorist uh, means. So uh, this is not, uh, uh, you know, something that's unusual that has happened in in the capital. Uh, Right-wing groups when they begin to lose uh, electorally, when they begin to see that their opponents are gaining the upper hand uh, in terms of being able to win, you know, elections and electorally, uh, they resort to the streets. 
end to violence in order to, you know, um, stop, you know, that process. So that, those are the things that came to mind. Uh, it was very dramatic, but on the other hand, it was something that I, having studied counter-revolutions, uh, you know, expected something like it would happen at some point in the United States, given the developments over the last, you know, few years, which has really resulted in, you know, this uh, move to the far right uh, of, you know, significant sectors of the population that are allied uh, to the Republican Party. You know, I have, uh, I followed that clip. It's 26 minutes long. But after the first seven minutes, he basically got right down to it. When they can't win, when they no longer are winning the messaging, the argument, ideology, and they're failing at that. And that seems to be where we are now. Not only are they losing the argument, they're losing the demographics. They are losing the demographics. They are slowly sliding into the the minority. When you get right down to it, The it was stochastic terrorism. Period. This is a great example of stochastic terrorism, but you have not heard that term used for what you are seeing. Because what you are seeing is basically mob. Mob meetings. You're seeing a man stand up on the stage and give the crowd not a directive, but a reference he refers to. The left is coming for your freedom. You will not be able to have cars because they're going to want to change and go with renewable energy. They basically bring in the lies that most people fear. And they basically say, hey, they frame who you are. They tell everybody who you are. And it's a lie. And they repeat it over and over and over and over. And as much as they like the liberal media, Six corporations, conservative corporations that own the media, but it's liberal. Oh, we can't listen to the liberal media. 
They're just they're just a bunch of bleeding hard liberals, snowflakes. So we can't count on them to run the country. We are the strong ones. We are for the police. We are for law and order. We are for the army. We are for the military. We are for the lies. And what puts them above all else is the messaging and the repetitive messaging brings you the lie. All this this election was stolen, it was a fraud, it's rigged. Oh, it's rigged, it's rigged. We and you have a army of surrogates who spread your lies and pushes it. Pushes it until people begin to repeat it. Until Guess what? It's the same as Al-Qaeda. It's the same as ISIS. It's the same. Radicalization of a population. In this case, they are already radicalized with bigotry, racism. All you're doing is adding on to it and making them more bigoted, making them more racist. All you are doing is successfully messaging and framing who they are. Elites. Inner city, cold, dog whistles. And the liberals, the Democrats, the progressives, they simply take it. They don't think Addressing it matters. They don't think that trying to repudiate matters when it simply does. Because if it didn't matter, they wouldn't do it. Remember, they have no ideas. They have no solutions. They have no programs to help the people. All they have are tax cuts. The They call them not benefits. They call them socialist programs. You see... Healthcare is a socialist program. Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security. All of these socialist programs are what they are against. 
They don't want to take care of the elderly. They don't want the sick to live. Look at the death toll for this pandemic. Last three days, it's been over 4,000. They have so many people dying that they can't put them all in the ground. They cannot process the body fast enough to stay up with it. And imagine having that job. First, I go to the to the drawer of cadavers, bodies, deceased. Let's go to the refrigerated trailers outside because we got about twenty of them out there, and we have to clear this trail out first. So let's take this trailer and take these bodies out. Imagine. Unwrapping that body to process it. What a job. What a job. And all I can say is, did I sign up for this? Is, is, is this? is this what I signed up for? Really? You have to ask yourself. Is this what I signed up for? If that's the case... It's all there, black and white, clear as crystal. You get nothing. You lose. Good day, sir. That's right. I'm out of here. My hat goes off to the first responders, to the frontline nurses, nurses, aides, doctors, maintenance men. Damn. At the point of this battle, it has to be one sick job. And think about it. Think about getting off and coming home. Do you ever, ever get that smell out of your nose? This is what the right wing has brought you. Because they didn't want to spend the money to keep this pandemic under wraps, to keep control of this pandemic. Yes, the pandemic is a bitch. But so was Ebola. So was Ebola. And guess what I don't remember? I 
I guess I, I don't remember it because I wasn't alive. So I have no recollection of the Spanish flu H1N1. I, so only reference I have is Ebola. Ebola came to the shores of the United States, and Barack Obama was there to meet it. He did all the things that the professionals, that the doctors said. He wasn't trying to be the hero and solve the problem by himself. He listened to the doctor. So when you hear the people on the right try to bend that curve of he had a great economy then the pandemic and if it wasn't for the pandemic he'd have won the election matter of fact he won anyway he won in a landslide count two votes again no 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 we want to we want to count the legal votes, not the illegal votes. What the is the illegal vote? You can find them. But that's okay. They will continue to lie about it. 30,000 lies. That's what it's attributed to Donald Trump. 30,000 lies. He hits you with a blizzard of lies. And of course, of course, the people, the people have no, no reason to disbelieve a sitting president. But from the day he entered the damn race, people on the left did not believe him and challenged him all of the way. Think about the lies he told about the wall, the lies he told about the caravans that headed here, He trafficked in panic. He trafficked in fear. He trafficked in lies. And amongst the caravan, there were ISIS, there was Al-Qaeda, there was all kind of terrorists. They carried diseases. I can't even remember some of the diseases that they supposedly carried. But it didn't matter because they were of a conjured sick idiot. Then, too, you had sick idiots out there who believed him. And that was for the 2018 
year, the 2018 election. And he wasn't, Trump was not on the ballot, although he was doing most of the lying. And this is where Twitter and Facebook came in, allowing misinformation, disinformation, Russian propaganda to come through. Because by now we've had enough right-wing liars to carry this water, this dirty water, this message of every single lie this man told the American people. And the number of people he had who believed this is a matter of minority rule. And that's what they were, minority rule. The minority rules, we don't have a say. Shut the hell up and sit down. Black Lives Matter, you you wanna you wanna disagree? You wanna defund the you wanna defund the police? Well, wait a minute. Who's going to answer the call? And instead of the right being honest about defunding the fleet and what was meant, the left allowed the right to define what defunding the police meant. And that was a big problem. That's where you can only go so far. Black Lives Matter can only go so far. They did not have the uh, messaging machine to clarify what defunding the police meant. Defunding the police was more than just a slogan, but they couldn't define it. So the right that had the money defined it for them, and they took it, and they ran with it. <laughs> and, of course, you hear, a lot of, you hear a lot of noise in the background here. After a while, I have to make adjustments. And that's what they did. Defunding the police was one of the biggest battle cries from a left, a message from the left. And the only people who knew what it was were the people on the left and the people on the right, the politicians on the right, because they had taken it. They had seized defunding the police and turned it into something stupid. Turned it into something stupid. And that's what they ran with. But I told people, a lot of people, that Donald Trump would not win 
from the day after he won the presidency, or should I say stole the presidency, there were people to resist, and the women took to the streets. And I saw it then that he could never win the popular vote. He didn't win it going in, and he wouldn't win it in 2018. And sure enough, the blue wave brought in a Democratic House of Representatives. And I was so sure that 2020 would bring a blue tsunami because his atrocity, the atrocity of the right, the complicit right Republican, who seemed to be afraid of this man. If you didn't vote his way, he would send a tweet your way. And put you on blast And you know you were In jeopardy Of losing your seat 516-666-9516 And I told everybody And I was I was trying to get it out there That He would not win In 2020 And people who were, I don't know, afraid. I won't use that. Who were just not feeling me. (laughs) Who just didn't see things the way I saw things. They were saying no, 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 no. But they were right about something. He was masking an army. And they were at the border. And they were ready to strike. And when I say they were ready to strike, They were ready to strike And All they were doing They were Getting this build up And I knew they had a build up Because I could hear it I could hear them building up Right It's like a thrown a drunk out of a bar Just right Don't worry about watching his head He says it's okay by the way, what was with the wind? Did you see that his giant... That's the clown car. The Darth Vader clown car. And that's what was masking at the border. Waiting on the right opportunity for the modern day Hitler to strike. And he tried everything. 
everything. He struck at the post office to blunt the mail-in vote after he allowed the pandemic to run rampant and you voted and risked your life to go and stand in a long line. We can't fix the voting laws because right now it's 50-50 and Joe Manchin is the problem. One Democrat will vote with the Republican and will not allow us to blunt the filibuster. Joe Biden is basically at a loss. He is basically not going to prevail when it comes to what these fools want. And people say, well, what's wrong? We won the two seats in Georgia. Why don't we? Why don't we control the Senate? Why can't we get what we want after we have won? Because there's always always this break glass in case of progress. And this Joe Manchin is what they had on their hands. Listen to this. America is a great country. And America is a country that was founded on the premise of white supremacy and white superiority. I know you have heard in this entire debate, well, there's a difference between heritage and hate, and there's a difference between Southern culture and slavery, and the monuments are celebrating heritage, they're celebrating culture, they're celebrating Southern pride, and people have understood these code words for a long time. So, I grew up in Memphis, Tennessee. And what greets me as a citizen of Tennessee when I go to my state capital in Nashville where my grandparents lived? Nathan Bedford Forrest. Well, he made a fortune in Memphis as a slave trader. And he was the original Grand Wizard of the KKK. He led a Confederate massacre of black soldiers and white soldiers, American soldiers, during the Civil War. And this monument wasn't put up in 1865 or 1866 with people saying he's such a hero, we have to recognize him. This monument was built in 1970, two years after Martin Luther King was shot in the neck just down the road from Nashville, Tennessee. And we'll come to that timing as we go through this because the timing of these monuments, I think, suggests something that's very important in terms of understanding what they're about. When were these monuments built? There were two spikes between the end of the 1800s and about 1921. 
what else was going on at the exact same time in America. The fact that this was normal, the fact that this was behavior that didn't really shock anybody tells you something about how deeply white supremacy has been ingrained into American culture. 1921. The black community in Tulsa, Oklahoma was one of the most prosperous communities in America, and the whites there decided they weren't going to have it, so they simply burned it to the ground. Almost 300 people killed. That's what was going on at the exact same time was this explosion of Confederate monuments, an explosion of thanks and praise for people who had done nothing other than fight to maintain white supremacy and slavery. When you think about when these monuments were built and what else was going on in America, it tells you something about the motivation. So how about that second, 1947 to 1968? thing that people forget about our history is that Reconstruction after the war was actually working. There were over 2,000 black elected officials in America. Businesses that blacks were starting were starting to take hold. And in 1877, I think it was Groven, I can't remember the president, but he got elected and basically said, I'm withdrawing the troops. In 1876, there were 125,000 black registered voters in Louisiana. In 1878, that number dropped to 5,000. And if you're wondering about the flag, it had essentially been dead and buried until 1948 when Strom Thurmond brought it back with the Dixiecrat Party. And once again, they are telling us as clearly as they can what they are about and why they're waving that flag. The party's purpose was clear. We stand for segregation of the races. This is from the editor of the Augusta, Georgia Courier in 1951. saying it as plainly as they can, and yet we are still having a debate in this country about what this stuff means. I am going through this to try and show you the events that were happening at the same time that this second explosion of monuments in the South to Confederate heroes was being built. And then this happened in 63. Segregation today, segregation tomorrow, segregation forever, and just a few weeks later, the Confederate flag was flying over the University of Alabama. And in September of 1963, these four girls got blown up in this church. This was the young girl that survived. 
These are the faces of people watching the bodies being taken out of the church. This is what was happening as the second explosion of Confederate monuments was happening in America. So some of these statues are coming down. They're being removed in the dark of night because the city officials don't want to remove them in the day because there might be disputes, there might be violence, there might be fighting. My only point is this. There is a movement in America that has not been in existence in my lifetime. I was 11 years old in Memphis when King was shot and killed. And I was young, but I was old enough to know enough. And what I am telling you is the discussions about racial equality that were going on then are nowhere near as deep, as intense, and as revealing as the discussions that are going on today. As scared as I feel and as frustrated as I feel with what's going on in this country, there is a part of me that says we are on the cusp of something. This is a freaking tipping point. And it is going to go one way or the other. Taking down these monuments will not cure the problem, but it is at least an indication that we are ready to deal with the truth. Well, there you have it. These monuments, these statues, this Confederate flag that they walked through the Tundra of the precious Capitol building as they basically spoke loud and clear the violence. We can't win any other way. We lost at the ballot box. We lost the race for ideas. Even though you've messaged better even though you lied better, even everything you did was better than what the Democrats were doing. And yet you still lost. And so all you had left of the violence and the lies you had to lose one thing. You had to allow the exposure, blatant exposure of the double standard of how people of color are policed as opposed to how white people are policed. You let allow the double standard Forced to escape the barn And now you'll never get it back All you can do now Is Snow over What has happened With more lies Because We've won an election now everyone goes home. They never go home. They have been fighting since they lost the Civil War. And they continue to fight. Because it's always a be it the Civil War. 
being civil rights, being voting rights, being Roe v. Wade, being the LGBTQ, RV, whatever, they still continue to fight. They never go home. Ever, there's always something new. There's always another angle. And they chip away and chip away and chip away. When they are in power, they rule. They don't govern, they rule. Until it gets so far out of whack that a so-called Democrat has to take over, and then you limit their spending ability. You start whining and crying about a debt. And the media helped you propagate that bullshit about the debt. All our debt is we have to be careful of it. But you weren't careful as you blew up the debt. Tax cuts for the rich. The only people who have gone, who have gotten rich, er, with this pandemic, are the rich. Poverty has increased. Desperation has increased. Handout socialism has increased. And they continue to tell you that the Democrats want to shift your jobs overseas. They will fight Joe Biden and the Democratic Party for the next four years. They will cheer. They will fight for the failure of this country until they get power again. All of those sycophants who supported Donald Trump will simply continue to support the right-wing message. And that message isn't so much about money. That message is about power. That message is about being able to call the shots and hold down the people who want to help the American people. I don't understand why it is so difficult for the American voter, for people on the left to understand that. And when you step back and you look at what's happening, you have to look at the people. You see, Republicans did one thing. They brought, they moved the right.
right, further to the right. And in moving the right further to the right, they left behind the never-Trumpers. And the never-Trumpers are still on the right. But what the never-Trumpers are doing is they're reaching over the line and grabbing some left, and they're pulling them to the right. Now there's a drumbeat of healing. Oh, we've got to heal. We've got to do some healing. We've got to bring this country together. And they've got the perfect storm. They've got an old white man, an old democratic fossil who has become president. And they've got a vice president. And Kamala Harris I don't hear her saying much I don't hear her saying a damn thing About anything When they bring her to the camera She simply repeats what Sleepy Joe has said I'd rather Sleepy Joe and Kamala Harris In more of the Donald Trump show. And I tell them, I say it, and I will continue to say it. He must be made to pay for his crimes. And right now, this mofo got six days. He's got six days. Pardon who you want, but you can't pardon your latest crime. And I found out, I found that out through who else? Here he is. This is Olbermann versus Trump. Donald Trump has just lost the ability to pardon the scum who attempted to overthrow our government of the United States last week, including complicit Republican congressmen, including complicit Republican staffers, including himself. Buried under the avalanche of Republican nonsense about unity and the constitutionality of an impeachment trial after a president has left office is the simple reality that the Constitution contains only 20 words about the president's ability to pardon. Quote, he shall have power to grant reprieves and pardons for offenses against the United States, except in cases of impeachment. That bare-bones phrase has long been interpreted to mean a president can pardon anybody for anything else, even perhaps himself. But the same reading demands that if he is impeached, not convicted, not removed, not even tried, he can't pardon himself, he can't pardon others for related crimes, he cannot act. They have neutered Trump. This is especially vital now, insomuch as every hour seems to bring new evidence that the coup was planned, organized with military precision, and involved some Republican congressmen. And now there is this Washington Post report that dozens of white supremacists on the FBI terrorism watch list were somehow permitted to be at the Capitol last Wednesday anyway. It is also increasingly clear that the traitors were so obvious, so concerned with videotaping their own crimes because they expected to win and to be rewarded by Trump 
or at the absolute worst, they expected to be pardoned by Trump. You already know the New Jersey Congresswoman, Mikey Sherrill, the former Navy helicopter pilot, who says she saw Republicans giving reconnaissance tours on Tuesday to some who attacked our Capitol on Wednesday. The psychotic new Colorado Congresswoman, Lauren Boebert, tweeting out the location where Speaker Pelosi was being protected during the attack, and an organizer of the riot saying he planned it, along with Republican Congressman Biggs, Brooks, and Gozar. These crimes are seditious conspiracy, overthrow of the government, rebellion, and insurrection, and they each carry prison terms of 10 to 20 years per count. And Donald Trump suddenly lost his ability to make them go away. There you go. There you go. He's been impeached for the second time. And in the second impeachment, he cannot pardon those who were involved. And they... I don't understand. How do you have a Rudy Giuliani? He got you impeached the first time. And now it's Rudy Giuliani who's getting you impeached the second time. Because you got Rudy trying to defend your lies. That brings me to just the unbelievable death toll of people who are dying because of this pandemic. And it's just, he's even lied to you about the vaccinations. And I just couldn't believe it. America is a great country. And America is a country that was founded on... That's right. America is a great country. And it was founded on white supremacy. But the mishandling, the absolute mishandling of this of these virus um, vaccines is criminal. I do believe he has taken the shortage. You remember he gave everybody a number and told you what you would get in the second round of, to complete the doses there would be 20 million people uh, vaccinated and all of a sudden now they're falling short. It's because he has seized these vaccines and he is selling them. He is selling them to other countries. That's why He's basically making money. That's why he must be prosecuted with extreme prejudice. Listen to this. 
documents that allege there are issues in the production and distribution of the company's COVID-19 vaccine. Pfizer is not having any production issues with our COVID-19 vaccine, and no shipments containing the vaccine are on hold or delayed. This week, we successfully shipped all 2.9 million doses that we were asked to ship by the U.S. government to the locations specified by them. We have millions more doses sitting in our warehouse, but as of now, we have not received any shipment instructions for additional doses. We have millions more doses sitting in our warehouse, but we get shipment directions from the U.S. government, and they haven't given us any shipment instructions for what we should do with the millions of doses that we have just sitting here. More than 3,000 Americans are dying every day now. And the vaccine that keeps people from dying from this thing is piled up in a warehouse. And that's per the company that makes it. So they're in a position to know. And they say the reason their doses of vaccine are piled up in a warehouse is because the government won't tell them where they want these doses shipped. And they have no idea why the government isn't telling them that. They're ready to go. And what's actually happening around the country now is this. And we pulled together these reports from all over the country because we started noticing them coming in this morning. But then it started to feel like just like a cascade today, starting in one state here. Well, it felt like it was a problem with that one state. Oh, maybe it's two states. Wait, that's a state in a different part of the country. We just watched these come in one after the other. And it is starting to feel like this is maybe everywhere now. Look, the Des Moines Register, quote, Iowa will receive less COVID-19 vaccine than anticipated. The state was expecting, in fact, they had publicly announced they'd be getting 172,000 vac vaccine doses by the end of December. They now say they've been told they'll get 30% less than that. So do the math. That means 50,000 doses that aren't coming, 50,000 people who are not getting the shot in Iowa. In a press release, the Iowa Department of Public Health made clear that they were told that by the federal government. It was the federal government that told them, hey, Iowa, what you thought you were getting, it's going to be 30% less. Then it was the Boston Globe reporting on Rhode Island. Rhode Island getting, quote, far less vaccine than expected next week. Quote, with 36% fewer doses on the way, Rhode Island Governor Gina Raimondo calls on the Trump administration to honor its commitments and provide the full allocation. In Rhode Island, they were previously told they'd get 10,725 doses next week. Now, instead, inexplicably, they're going to get less than 7,000. All those thousands of people that aren't going to get inoculated. Then Michigan, 30% fewer doses than they expected. They thought they'd get 84,000 people shots next week. Sorry, 24,000 of those, you're not getting your shot. They're not coming. The doses aren't arriving. I mean, yeah, who are you going to tell first who thought they were getting one next week who now isn't going to get one? Then Kansas, 37% cut in what they were told they were getting. They were told to plan for 28,000 Pfizer vaccinations next week. Now it will have to be less than 18,000 because for some reason, that's all that's coming. Same in Missouri. The governor says he's been told it'll be a 25 to 30% cut in their vaccines. Same in Indiana. Same in Maryland. Same in Nebraska. Same in New Hampshire. Same in Montana. Same in Oregon. What's going on? In Washington state, Governor Inslee explained it directly online as best he could. He said this, CDC has informed us that Washington state's vaccinate, uh, excuse me, vaccine allocation will be cut by 40% next week and that all states are seeing similar cuts. This is disruptive and frustrating. We need accurate, predictable numbers to plan and ensure on the ground success. 
No explanation was given. Again, we're not like deep into this process. This is week one. Why is this happening? Pfizer says it made all its targets. It has millions of doses on the shelves. They have no production problems. They have no supply line problems. Pfizer says they just need the U.S. government to say where to send the doses that they've got. The government is making these mealy, unsourced allegations that there's some problem on Pfizer's end, but they won't really say what it was other than, like, casting vague aspersions at Pfizer. And the company says they're lying with what they're implying there. Nevertheless, Trump administration officials are calling all the states now, or at least a lot of the states, and telling them, yeah, 30 to 40 percent of the vaccine doses you were expecting next week, we're cutting those. You're not getting them. Here was Governor J.B. Pritzker in Illinois today, asked about it by reporters with, honestly, no way to explain what's happening here. Have you learned anything more? I know the folks at Pfizer are saying it's not on their end. Anything new? They have not provided us with any information, federal government. Um, you know, we get to see what the uh, order book can look like for us for the coming week, and, um, and they haven't given us any explanation of why those numbers are smaller than they were before. No explanation of why the numbers are suddenly dramatically smaller than they were before. No explanation. Just tens of thousands of Americans who might not have to die being put at inexplicable risk of it while vaccine that's good to go sits on the shelves with nowhere to go because the federal government won't tell the company that makes and stores that vaccine where they should ship it. And the federal government can't or won't say what's going on and why they're doing that. The Washington Post today um, had good, good aggressive reporting on this, and they got this today from the Pfizer side, uh, which is one of the more unnerving things I've read in a few days. According to the Washington Post, quote, a person involved in the planning who spoke on condition of anonymity because they were not authorized to discuss the situation, said Pfizer executives are baffled that the administration is not immediately distributing all of its vaccine, instead leaving much of it on the shelves. It really seems like this is not some sort of fight between Pfizer and the government, some sort of negotiation that's fallen through, and this is some hardball tactic. It really seems like Pfizer's ready to send the vaccine, and the U.S. government won't tell them where to ship it. Pfizer executives are baffled that the administration is not immediately distributing all of its vaccine. Instead, leaving much of it on the shelves, baffled. I have other adjectives I would like to add to that. <laughs> exactly. The Trump administration is very good at misinformation. And once they get the information flowing through their channels, not through the channels of the media, just like they took the pandemic and gave it to Mike Pence and how everything goes through Mike Pence, goes through Donald Trump. Mike Pence is the hand-up-his-ass puppet that Donald Trump uses to control the flow of information to control the flow of facts. Six days cannot pass fast enough. This white privilege will continue. But at least 
we will have a, a better look at how it comes out. Could the far left be more relevant now than at any other time? And tell me. <laughs> Could white inferiority be on display less? Is it a fleeting thought that we as a people can begin to think about something other than small, small personal success. We are still far, far away from the success of our people because we are too busy looking at the petty roles because once you've struck pay dirt and you get the income that's like a contract to play the sports because that seems to be the only level playing field that there is. They're even taking away the music industry. They're making that feel unlevel. So this is what we have to look forward to. 516-666-9516. This is the number I can be reached at. You can call in. Don't be. Where's my friend Joe? Come on, Joe. What do you know? Tell me about the libertarianism. Tell me about the. We don't want government to do anything now. With this pandemic, who, who the hell else they gonna call on? Donald Trump went the libertarian role. He gave it to the states, and then. Wouldn't fund the states to deal with it. You see, government can't work if they aren't funded. So where is Joe at? And where is David? David was so willing to tell me about the American people aren't going for the burned out buildings and the looting and the rioting when it was the Boogaloo Boys, the Proud Boys, and the white supremacists who were infiltrating Black Lives Matter demonstrations throughout the country. And created this scene of mayhem 
And the more mayhem they could show, the more they could vilify and demonize Black Lives Matter. And protesters legitimately saying, stop killing us. And I'm getting more and more and sliding more and more to that side of not just equality. I'm about to look for revenge. Because these are insidious. And just no good. <laughs> I thought like I I got nothing and no other way to explain it. They're no good. They're not looking to help you out. They're looking for you to go under. You have no choice. As people of color, black vote was up 20%. That means we're still not above 50% in voting. We increase 20%. And look at the outcome. We flipped a red state, Ruby Red, Georgia. And with the the destruction of the post office. And that's one thing you haven't heard Biden say or speak on is the joy and this post office, these post offices nationwide. Democrats have the lead and the Congress and the lead in the House. You must fix H.R. 6409 or OSA, which is it? The uh, Postal Accountability Enhancement Act. You must repeal that. And you must fund the post office. You must put back the sorting machine. You must indict joy for perjury. There's so much that Democrats have to do because you have been set up to fail. He hollowed out government. Now you're looking to fill government. And once you fill government, by this time next year, then you might be able to start to do some ruling. And you have to pay attention to who was left in that government that that were from the Trump administration. And you have to lean on them to purge them.
have been criticized and and have been criticized by the fellow Democrats. How do you how do you bring them, how do you reach across the aisle and bring them together? You don't. You don't because you can only reach so far. You're reaching for them, and they're leaning the other way. They're not reaching for you. So you simply go in and you rule. If they won't get rid of the filibuster, get rid of their state funding. It's much easier. It's much easier. And I like to use these uh, numbers. And these aren't, um, these aren't, um, how do you say it? These aren't, uh, these numbers are like six years old, something to that effect. And um, they're not something that is relevant now, but they haven't changed as much. And you really just have to look at who's the welfare queen. These red states, are the welfare queens. And I will post this in the chat room. For people who want to pay attention. Genesis, I thought the same thing. How did he pardon all of the other people? He pardoned them because this impeachment that he just got and it only covers it only covers this insurrection. The crimes he committed and inciting this insurrection, he cannot he cannot pardon people like Donnie Jr. He can't pardon uh, Rudy Giuliani. People who spoke at the at this rally and who basically encouraged and incited the crowd. To do what they did To march down there and fight Fight or you won't have a country Fight on the lie Hoist your body on the tarp Impale yourself on a lie And those are the people he can't pardon 
He's lost the ability to pardon. He is still going to try to pre-pardon his children and Jared and all of those before he gets out of there in the next six days. But the people he can't pardon are the people who participated. Don Jr., Rudy Giuliani. Rudy Giuliani said something about, what did he say? You have to, he mentioned something about taking it back through force and I don't know. But uh, he lost the part in power. He was basically, as Overman said, he was neutered. And I don't think, I think he's going to hit the ceiling when he finds out he can't pardon these people who took part in the in this uh, coup attempt. There's a lot of people, and for that reason, there's a lot of people that should go to jail for a long time, for a very long time. Send that message. Please send that message. (laughs) Please send that message. I got to tell you, these people, as they walk through this, as they walk through the building and trash it and kick it, no. Now you send some people to jail for a while and threaten the people to send them to jail unless they uh, cooperate. Unless they cooperate and moving forward. No, Merrick Garland to me is not a good attorney general. He is milk toast as to what you need. He is simply milk toast. And the you know, the cabinet positions that he puts in, I you know, I'm really not it just it just doesn't feel right. I'm looking for or I was looking for someone I mean, I didn't want her, but Sally Yates would have been better than Mary Garland. Not not on the on the uh, knowledge of the law, just on the mere fact that she would have an extra grind with Trump and the corruption. So that's where we are. Has he named um, Secretary of State yet? I don't think he did. He's leaving us hanging. Just like I thought he would do. Leave us hanging. (laughs) 
Is that right, Janice? My CEO is speaking to me in the chat room. An impeachment is an impeachment that says a president who has been impeached cannot pardon. Well, that means he could not have pardoned all of those war crimes people. He could not have pardoned all of the the um, mercenaries, the Blackwater people who murdered the 17 civilians at the square. But he did. Trust me, Janice, the Constitution has 20 words on pardons. It is basically the it's in the 20 words. If, if the president has been impeached, he cannot impeach those who are involved in the crime that he is being impeached for. And that's basically what it is. Because I, I was, I, when I heard it, I immediately asked the same question you asked. But Bannon, Ivanka, and Jared weren't involved in the crime that he's being impeached for. That's why I need. That's why we need a a better AG, Janice. <laughs> that's why we need a better AG. You have. You are right about it. They were basically in on it, but we need a better AG who has an axe to grind, who wants to impeach. With extreme prejudice. That's what I mean when I say extreme prejudice. But um, this sabotage of um, of the vaccine distribution. He gives you the illusion that he's going to distribute this vaccine. First, he gave you the illusion that they were fighting the the virus when, in fact, he was promoting the virus. That's what's very, very hard to understand and hard to accept. And hard to accept. Nobody wants to be there alone.
when Donald Trump leaves office, he should be haunted, chased to the ends of the earth with legal problems. We've done this too long. Too many people came out and said no more to this president. I believed in one thing. I believed in one thing, and that one thing was that he had pissed off too many people and the voting drive was too strong for him to be reelected, regardless to whatever he did to cheat. His cheat at every level has been turned back in the courts. His cheat at the ballot box first. His cheat when you get down to mail-in ballots, as opposed to absentee ballots, which says one is different than the other. They all come in the mail. So what's the difference? They send out applications to everyone all willy-nilly. And what did they tell you? They told you that Iran was printing mail-in ballots, China was printing mail-in ballots and could prove nothing. They could prove nothing, but they told you anyway. And by, by Joe, they told you, and you better believe them because they told you. They lied to you again, and you just had to believe them because we would think that... Uh, White folks would lie like that. Tomorrow night, our common ground was Janice Graham, 10 o'clock, here at Blog Talk Radio. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Janice's Janice guest uh, was a no-show last week, and um, she said she would reschedule it. So, Janice, who is she? <laughs> I, I don't know. You know, I'm a low-information talk show. <laughs> We don't have much information. Hell, we're barely keeping up with this clown that was in office. But uh, I believe that there's going to be a lot of disappointed people. A lot of disappointed people with Joe Biden because he's starting out wrong. 
Just pretend for a minute. Just pretend that we can't um, walk and chew gum at the same time. Where are we? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. 516-666-9516. Or 561. Welcome to the Alpha Show. Thank you for calling TruthWorks Network. Good evening, Alpha. Thank you for letting your audience know what's going on on our common ground tomorrow night. Uh, we're going to be talking about the invitations that have been issued for more than five years with an RSVP and thousands of people answered the invitation on January 6th. And we should not be surprised, and we're going to be talking about that with Dr. James Taylor and Makani Temba, who is the chief strategist at Higher Ground Strategies Consulting. And um, my guest from last week, who I have so graciously accepted her apology, uh, is Jennifer Taub, the author of Big Dirty Money, and she will be with us on the 23rd. Thank you for letting your audience know, but that's not what I called you about. I think that our country, you know, I'm always reluctant to say our country. The country that we live in. I know. I know. I'm I'm (laughs) shocked. Is at a very crucial part of the reckoning that comes as a result of the ways in which we have made decisions about who our elected officials are, the ways in which we have articulated, resignated uh, benefits to our citizenry, the ways in which we have not pushed back at a nation that has, for the most part, clamored for a white nationalist government. So here we are. But I want to talk about this thing about the president being impeached on whatever day it was, Tuesday, Wednesday, uh, Thursday, whenever it was. When was it, Alpho? The... The insurrection was on Wednesday, so the president had to be impeached on Monday. When, when was he right. impeached? They, they gathered for the impeachment. He was impeached Wednesday. Okay. Um, so he was impeached the same day as the Electoral College vote tally? He was impeached... It's just so much going on that, you know, um, and I do. Well, go the ahead. Electoral College tally, the electoral, electoral College tally was on the 6th. 
He was impeached on the 13th. Okay. Okay. Do I have the right date? No, I, I, I think that's all wrong. Yeah. Um, the 6th was on a Wednesday. He was impeached on the 13th. No, he was he was okay, okay, yeah, so he was impeached this week, and the insurrection was last week. It seems like it was this week to me, but in it's any case yeah in, in any case um i I don't think that um, people are looking for uh reconciliation and resolution. On the the main issues, and the and and part of uh, at the core of all of this, and I think what is so destructive to the democracy is that there is clear evidence that law enforcement people, congressional people, congressional staff people we're all part of the planning here. But I do want to talk, I, I do call you to, to, to further discuss this idea of the impeachment and his ability going forward to issue pardons. Article 2, Section 2 says that the president shall have power to grant reprieves and pardons for offenses against the United States except in cases of impeachment. That's what it says. It doesn't it doesn't have any kind of amendments or, or anything. And this whole idea that people are floating that the impeach his first impeachment doesn't count in that regard and in my mind, and from the law school where I went, my brain is trained to think that an impeachment is an impeachment. No matter what, it, is, it was abuse of power then, and it's abuse of power now. So I, I think all of these legal scholars are going back to something that, I remember uh, in the William and Mary Law Review uh, paper some while back, and in this law in this law review paper, it said that the pardon remains effective despite removal of the president for issuing it, and that you can't prov- uh, you you can't revoke that a a person who is pardoned remains pardoned, even if the president is impeached and convicted. And, you know, at some point this country, this is this is the point I wanted to make. At, at some point in this country, what we have to do is begin to challenge, because the notion, the concept, the 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 legal analysis, even if it says that the pardon remains effective, somebody needs to challenge that. We can't just go around saying, 
Oh, some guys got together. You know, when I was in law school, we used to have a study group every night. I was in a group. You sign up to be in a group with some other people. And we would spend about an hour or two, sometimes even six hours, um, getting prepared, you know, doing whatever exercises were required to get through specific courses. And I think that that's what happens in law reviews when people write papers. You know, this and this it was this this paper the thing that I'm referring to, the William and Mary Law Review paper was written forty years ago in nineteen seventy seven. So all it is is somebody's opinion not a court opinion, not not a legal. Well, it's a legal analysis. It's a legal opinion, but it's not a legal analysis. And I think that we can't, in this country, begin to have um, have some people in a in a in a study corral somewhere in some law school writing a paper telling us what the law is when it hasn't been tested. So, you know, I'm always asking, so what are you going to do about it? So I, I think that what has to be organized here is a group of legal scholars. Where's Lawrence Tribe in all of this? He's not my... I mean, he was one of the reasons I left Harvard Law School. I I can't say he was one of the reasons, but he gave me a glimpse. But anyway, what I'm suggesting, and I'm going to be talking to Jennifer Taub about this, because she really is a legal analyst, and she's a former, uh, held a chair at Harvard Law School, and she's a... A, a legal professor. So I'm going to have a talk with her about it because I think somebody needs to be organized to challenge what the general public discourse is about this because I just can't see that a president uses his power of pardon to reward the people who covered up his crimes and committed crimes themselves. Because well, Janice, to me, that's, why, that's a bribe. Janice, that's why I raised that the issue of people who will go after that. People like uh, uh, Glenn Kirchner. He yes. seems to have a, 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 a bone to pick with uh, the Trump administration and the Trump Foundation. And oh, he's outraged. He's been outraged from the very beginning. Right. You know, and I know you only got a few minutes, but... Um, I was going to call you to ask you if you wanted to do um, something together uh, the night of the inauguration, which I don't even know what night it is, and I don't really care. 
Um, but one of the things that has happened here, and people are not paying attention, is that you've got this apology tour going on with all of these people who were complicit traitors because they knew and they understood what this president was doing. The other is that the insurrectors have won. I don't know if um, you've ever been to an inauguration. I've been to um, Jimmy, Jimmy, what's his name, the peanut farmer. Um, I went to his inauguration. I also went to Bill Clinton's second inauguration, and I went to Barack Obama's first inauguration. They're just one. They're just wonderful events for white people. I mean, people at at, at Barack Obama's inauguration, you couldn't move. So. These insurrectors, they really have won because now they're going to shut down every state capital in the country, our major ones, and they've shut down this inauguration. So Trump has gotten what he wants. He it still can't get over the numbers of his inauguration. Well, so that was one Jen? of the goals. Yeah. I know you got to go. I'm okay. About, uh, uh, minute 30. Minute 30. Okay. Talk to you tomorrow. Thank they you, just, Alpha. They just, they just told me. 90 seconds. <laughs> Thank you, Janice. Look, when injustice becomes law, resistance becomes duty. This has been another exciting episode of the Alpha Show. We appreciate your listenership. Thank you for joining us at TruthWorks Network, the Alpha Show. Join us next Wednesday, 10 p.m. That's where we are. And that's why it's almost bewitching out. It's almost checkmate. It's almost that time. The time is of no return. It's almost a time when we won't be able to recover. Because recovery simply will not be in the cards for us. We cannot, I repeat, we cannot continue down this road because this road is headed for the ultimate dead end.